0: This is Northwest This Week. Hello and welcome to Northwest This Week. I'm Bill O'Neill, and for Mark Christopher, rising prices at the gas pump again pinching drivers in the Northwest, a new poll finds different views of the upcoming elections depending on political party, and warnings of a twindemic and a push to get flu shots. It all happened this week. Let's get you caught up. If you dread your next trip to the gas station, a local expert says OPEC's plan to cut oil production isn't the only thing behind that dread. Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris explains.
1: Washington's oil doesn't come from OPEC Nation, so while crude prices do play a role, refining capacity is the price driver this time of year, with refineries shutting down for scheduled maintenance and the switch to cheaper winter blend gas. AAA Washington's Kelly Just says we have refineries that delayed some maintenance until after the summer driving season. So
2: we're kind of paying now for them doing the nice thing and not shutting down production over the summer when prices were even higher. That's why we're dealing with a tightened supply.
1: Kelly tells me it's a great time to be a member of a grocery or big box store club if they sell gas.
2: You're getting a percentage off at certain pumps. Now is the time when you take advantage of that and if you're not a member consider
1: joining. Prices might start to improve come November but just expects them to continue upward for now. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio.
2: Gas
0: prices have been climbing steadily across Washington state, and the White House has taken aim at oil companies ahead of the midterm elections. Evan Halper is covering it for The Washington Post and spoke with Northwest News Radio's Frank Lindsay.
3: Evan, this is meant, as you note, to shield Democratic candidates from consumer frustration. So what kind of steps could the White House take to bring the cost down before the midterms?
4: Well, there's not a whole lot of steps the White House can take to bring the cost down. I mean, one thing they're threatening is that uh, they would actually impose some restrictions on exports and that would require oil companies to boost their inventories in the U.S. and ostensibly bring prices down. But there's all kinds of reasons that could backfire, and uh, a lot of market experts are, are warning the administration against that. So mostly what's happening is a lot of Kind of rhetoric, um, you know, them shifting blame for the high prices to oil companies, pointing out that the oil companies are making very handsome profits right now, um, even as as gas prices go up and, and not passing those profits along to consumers.
3: And how are the oil companies responding to what the White House has been saying?
4: Yeah, the oil companies are saying that uh, they're doing everything they can to keep prices as low as possible, that it's a cyclical, cyclical business. Um, you know, they went through a couple of years, or they went through a period you know, early on in the pandemic when they lost you know, billions of dollars, all of them did. And that it's, it's common, you know, that, that, that when demand goes up, their profits go up and they invest more, and if you start having government interventions and, you know, government intervening in the market, um, it it could create all kinds of problems that tamp down investment and create capacity issues and will ultimately just make the energy crunch that much worse. And so they're saying, you know, what the administration should be doing is, you know, granting them more permits, um, easing environmental restrictions and uh, you know, lifting burdens that they say inhibit their ability to produce more oil and gas.
3: Why are gas prices, especially here on the West Coast, spiking so much right now?
4: There's refinery issues. I mean, gas on the West Coast is more expensive than it is on the East Coast. You're right; it is. You know, a forty cent jump in a week is quite high. And other parts of the country, um, you know, a lot of the West is dealing with that. Other parts of the country are not dealing with price jumps as high, um, or even really price jumps at all. But, um, you know, the, the way that the markets work, there's, you know, there's there's limited refining capacity in the West Coast. And some of those refineries are down for maintenance right now. Um, and that, that sort of curbs the available supply. And so you're really feeling it. There's other things that are happening that affect, you know, not just the West Coast, but everyone. Um, one of them is there's an upcoming um ban uh, on all Russian oil by the European Union. That'll take effect in early December, and a lot of producers are getting ready for that already, um, sort of anticipating there are going to be short supply and, and upping their orders, which, of course, is increasing demand. And then we have OPEC is meeting tomorrow. Um, they're widely expected to cut production um, by something like a million barrels per day, And if that happens, that um, also, uh, you know, tightens supply even more. And so you're seeing price increases for all of those reasons.
0: Puget Sound Energy is warning customers that their energy bills will soon be going up. Details from Northwest News Radio's Greg Herschel.
5: The utility says the higher rates will take effect late this year and into 2023, pending approval of the Utilities and Transportation Commission. PSE cites a combination of factors, including rising natural gas prices, state clean energy goals, and continued investments it's making. The higher rates for natural gas customers would take effect next month, and the typical customer would pay about $13 more a month. The average PSE electricity
0: customer would see their monthly bill rise by about $8. Greg Herschelt, Northwest News Radio. Men and women working in the trenches of the homeless crisis in Washington are now eligible for bonuses from a $55 million state-run program. But as John Lobertini reports, this is no fix for these underpaid workers.
6: 51-year-old Ashley DeVine works with men and women trying to get their children back.
7: Here's story after story. We're talking traumatic
6: things. Movies are made of. Drug addicts from abusive homes. The life she lived as a child of the dysfunctional 70s.
7: Sometimes the mother has decided, I don't want my kids. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not trying to get off drugs. That has become so much more prevalent.
6: It's often emotionally and financially devastating. The single mother of five adult children says she's been homeless twice during 15 years on the job. I was like, oh my God, I could finally get this bill paid. The $4,000 bonus is going to pay the electric bill but it won't cover her latest problem.
7: Right now, as we speak last night, I was packing my family up to move because the home I'm in right now, he wants more money.
6: Devine makes a little over $50,000 a year. It's an important job, she'll tell you. It just doesn't pay like one. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell has changed his mind on pay for homeless outreach
0: workers. Details from Northwest News Radio's Jeff Podula.
8: Three years ago, Harrell, then a city council member, supported a bill that would give outreach workers a raise every year, commensurate with inflation. But because inflation is now at 7.6 percent, Harrell says the city can no longer afford it.
9: Unfortunately, at a time with 40-year high inflation, the ongoing liability that the current law would require does not match our ongoing general fund resources.
8: That's Julie Dingley, the mayor's budget director, who tells the city council that they want to cap the raises at four percent. Roughly 300 employees and contractors would be affected by the change.
0: Jeff Pogel on Northwest News Radio. Amazon has renamed its discounted Prime membership tier. Northwest News Radio's Kathy O'Shea has the details.
7: Now called Prime Access, the tier is intended for qualifying recipients of government assistance. It offers all of the usual Prime benefits, plus the ability to pay for eligible groceries with a SNAP EBT card. It also offers members a 15% discount on select products and the ability to check their SNAP EBT balance without leaving the site. Prime Access is $6.99 a month compared to the usual $14.99 monthly fee. Kathy O'Shea Northwest News Radio.
0: Amazon is suing the State Department of Labor and Industries. Details from Northwest News Radio's Carlene Johnson.
2: The company says L&I's requirement that Amazon make expensive adjustments in its warehouses is a violation of due process. Geekbuyer reports the dispute stems from a citation issued by L&I back in March at the company's flagship warehouse in Kent. The department found that a lot of jobs in the warehouse involve repetitive motions, lifting, twisting, and that workers are required to keep up a fast pace. Ellen I called the violation willful due to similar citations at three other Amazon sites. Meantime, Amazon says in this lawsuit, the company shouldn't be forced to incur financial and operational burdens while their appeal is pending. Normally, they say there would be a stay of abatement, allowing an employer to wait to address and resolve the alleged problems pending the outcome. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
0: People who live near a Kirkland construction site say noise and vibrations from an ongoing construction project are literally shaking them awake. Northwest News Radio's Corwin Hake reports.
10: Construction work in the wee hours of the morning is causing sleepless nights just east of Totem Lake, especially when grinding machinery goes to work at 3 or 4 a.m.
2: You can feel it in your chest.
10: Neighbors tell Como 4 the work is keeping them up at night. You can't sleep through that. There's just no way. Fairfield Residential is developer of the mixed-use residential retail project near 120th and Slater Way. In a statement, Fairfield says the city of Kirkland insisted it conduct waterline work at night, the city admits that's true, saying in a statement the night work solves certain daytime traffic issues. Neighbors understand construction is part of urban life,
7: but this is whole whole house shaking, um, and supposedly it's going on for the next month.
10: Well, maybe only seven days, Kirkland says. For now, the city says it will ask the developer to limit the shaky stuff to no later than 11 p.m. In Kirkland, Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week. Welcome back to Northwest This Week. In a new political poll, Washington Republicans say the upcoming midterm election is mostly about the economy. Washington Democrats say it's mostly about abortion.
10: The poll published by Crosscut finds the second place answer is the same for both Democrats and Republicans. Party identification. That is, the party a candidate belongs to is more important to voters of either party than the individual issues, including taxes for Republicans and the environment for Democrats. Pollster Stuart Elway has noted this growing stratification, saying the parties have forged such hardline positions on major issues. These issues are no longer debated within in the parties.
11: In the olden days, both parties were big tents. They contained various interests and issue positions. Most of the contentious issues got worked out inside the parties.
10: Elway tells the online program CEO to CEO there's little chance of that happening these days when the party you align with is a strong indicator of where you stand on any given issue. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
0: Anytime you hear about an NFL team looking to hire a new coach, you're probably going to hear the Rooney Rule mentioned. It's intended to promote racial equity among the top ranks of NFL coaches. Corporate America has also adopted the strategy, but in both the NFL and the boardroom, it has failed to boost black representation in either arena. Gus Garcia-Roberts has taken a closer look for the Washington Post and spoke with Northwest News Radio's Taylor Van Sice.
12: Gus, in its most
0: basic form,
12: what is
13: the Rooney Rule? How's it supposed to
0: work?
12: So the Rooney Rule was implemented in 2003 by the NFL, and it requires teams that are hiring for a head coach to interview at least, or its initial incarnation required them to interview at least one candidate of color.
13: And on, on the surface, it's it's such a simply elegant idea, but when did cracks start to form? You know, now, now that we have some hindsight, when do we see that it, it stopped promoting black coaches to the top of the organization?
12: Right. So, so this, you know, this rule is, was kind of initially built as as brilliant in its simplicity, and it seemed to work uh, initially. Um, when when it was first implemented, the number of black head coaches in the NFL was was usually around two or three. Uh, by 2011, there were seven. Blackhead coaches and and that was that bump was was credited to the Rooney rule. and so it, it you know gained a lot of popularity. But from then from that point forward, uh, for about a decade, the numbers have have slid and then stagnated. So now we're kind of stuck at three blackhead coaches again, uh, and and it's um, caused a lot of sort of reexamination of whether the rule works and, 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 whether it's, it's just, you know, flat out obsolete diversity policy. If you're not uh, augmenting it with, with uh, other more effective policies, which the NFL until recent years resisted doing.
13: Now, as far as why it's failed, um, wh- what are you hearing from, from the coaches that were hired during that era and, and from psychologists as well?
12: Sham interviews is what the coaches say. So, so blackhead coaches that, 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 have um attempted to get jobs in the last 20 years have, have complained that that interviews where the owners and team executives are not actually interviewing them because they are thinking of hiring them but just because they're trying to satiate the rooney rule that those kind of interviews have become a sort of constant of their existence um, and so for this story which which sort of explored why uh explored the ins and outs of this rule but also similar rules adopted in corporate america Um, I spoke to a lot of experts, including, you know, labor economists and attorneys who have been involved in in litigation involving these kind of rules. And basically, that's kind of par for the course. It's a rule that is only as effective as the leaders of those corporations are earnest about increasing diversity. So if you only have this rule as your diversity policy and the top leaders uh, who are doing the hiring don't actually care about diverse, diversifying their organization. You'll see a lot of examples of, of sort of sham interviews and other evasion of, of, of the rule, easy evasion. Uh, and one example of that was, was Wells Fargo. When they were being sued for racial discrimination by their black financial advisors, they implemented what the CEO called the Rooney Rule for managerial positions, but they, this year, suspended the Rooney Rule after reporting that they were engaging in, in widespread sham interviews of, of potential black managers, the same thing that happened in the NFL.
13: Really important read for all of us today, whether you're in corporate America or looking at uh, some of the leadership of our local teams. You can find it all online at WashingtonPost.com from
0: Gus Garcia-Roberts. Lawyers for a black man serving a virtual life sentence want his conviction overturned due to race. Details from Northwest News Radio's Jeff Pogela.
8: When Tonelli Anderson was just 17 years old, he shot two women during a drug robbery, killing one of them. He was given 61 years in prison. But recently, the state Supreme Court overturned a similar sentence for a white defendant, saying that his youthful immaturity must be taken into account. Now, Anderson's lawyers say he wasn't given the same treatment because of his race. In a split decision, the Supreme Court has already denied Anderson's request for resentencing, but he is asking the
0: justices to reconsider that decision. Jeff Pogelin, Northwest News Radio. A committee continues its talks on recommendations to state lawmakers on a better approach to drug addiction following the court case that vacated all drug possession convictions. Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris has the story.
1: A list of suggestions is before this committee run by the Health Care Authority, including more money for housing so people at each step of drug treatment and recovery have a safe, supportive place to go. They also recommend adopting national standards for recovery residences so that people aren't necessarily kicked out if they relapse, and for how those residences are zoned because they're often blocked by cities or the target of neighbors' complaints. Dr. Sherry Candelario, who started a group of recovery homes, says it shouldn't matter what zip code the housing goes in.
2: Some zip codes
7: will allow up to eight unrelated people, which Mm -hmm. makes it easier to provide housing. But others restrict the number of people that are unrelated living in a home. And they use that to basically zone out recovery housing.
1: Another big item was a call for changes to the Good Samaritan Law to allow people worried about arrest or prosecution to call 911 when someone is overdosing without that fear to save lives. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Hundreds
0: of millions of dollars will soon be dispatched across Washington to fight the opioid crisis. John Libertini explains.
6: Three major suppliers of fentanyl drew the ire of Attorney General Bob Ferguson for failing to monitor distribution of the drug. Come December, the first of $476 million is going to be dispersed across Washington.
11: These funds will help prevent the next victim of the opioid epidemic because we know that there are not enough resources for the work we need on prevention and treatment.
6: The money is going to all 39 counties, but those in the trenches say fentanyl is getting more potent by the year. Let me be blunt. Fentanyl is a killer. Deputy Chief Paul Younger's Tacoma PD. Pierce County's medical examiner recorded nearly four times as many fentanyl-related deaths last year as it did just two years earlier. King Pierce and Snohomish counties are getting the biggest pieces of the pie, but Ferguson refused to settle and got more.
11: By rejecting those deals and going to court, we've now returned about $160 million more back to Washington State. John Lubertini,
6: Northwest News
11: Radio.
0: The State Department of Corrections is being sued over the death of an inmate three years ago. Northwest News Radio's Carlene Johnson reports.
2: 27-year-old Anthony Christie hanged himself at the Monroe Prison, one of 37 deaths in state prisons in 2019, five which were from suicide, according to the Daily Herald. His mother says he struggled with mental illness since he was a teenager, and she's now suing the Department of Corrections and various officers in federal court for the alleged negligence that led to her son's death. An investigation from the Office of the Corrections Ombuds did find several Problems led to Christie's death, including failure of communication between staff, and the ombuds concluded his death was possibly preventable. Records from the investigator show correction staff did check on Christie every half hour after he was arrested, but as he lay there on the ground of his cell with a blanket he was already dead. It took two hours for someone to notice discoloration on his foot and realize he was already gone.
0: The city of Everett announces how it plans to spend millions in federal dollars from the American Rescue Plan Act. Eric Heinz has the details.
9: Everett got almost $20 million and it must be spent by the end of 2026. Last week city officials outlined how almost 8 million could pay for programs ranging from a gun buyback program to homeless services, behavior health services, and economic recovery in the latest round of spending. The Everett Herald reports they're looking to put a daytime shelter in the central and north parts of the city for people to get out of the cold and heat. Locations have not yet been determined. Eric Heinz, Northwest News Radio.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week. Welcome back to Northwest This Week. I'm Bill O'Neill from for Mark Christopher. Washington hospitals say they are bleeding money and they sound the alarm about the possibility of reducing available care. Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris has more.
1: Inflation is driving up the costs of drugs and supplies. The nursing shortage has driven up labor costs. And Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements cover about two-thirds of actual costs or less. That and a slew of other factors have led our state's hospitals to a net loss of $1.75 billion in the first half of this year. Washington State Hospital Association members were asked about union claims they created the staffing crisis with years of underpaying and understaffing. But Wishes Shaleen Whitaker says that's untrue, especially when you look at the margins the last five years. We're
7: not rolling in cash here in Washington State. We've been concerned about the lack of Medicaid payments, keeping pace with costs for years, and the margins show that we are barely healthy.
1: All that leaves hospital leaders concerned about cutbacks or even closures that could limit your ability to get the care you need. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio.
0: Health officials say we could be dealing with two pandemics soon. Northwest News Radio's Carlene Johnson
2: reports. Talk of a potential twindemic of COVID and influenza at the same time. Started back in 2020 and again last year, health officials cautioned it could happen. But most people then were still wearing masks in public and not going out as much. There was hardly any flu to speak of. Now we're back to normal life and Dr. John Schwartzberg with UC Berkeley tells KRON-TV in San Francisco we're exposed to more germs and he expects the flu to come surging back.
4: Between those two, this call the twindemic of these two. If, if that happens, um, our, our health care system is really going to be stressed.
2: The Daily Herald reports COVID and flu cases have been surging in the southern hemisphere where the seasons are opposite of ours and winter ended a month ago. So again, they're urging people to get that COVID booster and a flu shot. You can even get them on the same day in opposite arms. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
0: Respiratory illnesses are likely to rise through the fall and winter, according to a UW Medicine infectious disease expert. Northwest News Radio's Kathy O'Shea has more.
7: Dr. John Lynch says cooler weather will likely bring a resurgence of influenza, a rise in COVID-19 infections, and a new crop of Omicron variants. In addition to vaccinating against both viruses, Lynch says taking precautions such as masking will help decrease infections.
4: It can be a really
8: positive thing for all of us, right? We can prevent things like influenza, but many other respiratory viruses in our setting keeps our kids healthier, keeps our families healthier, allows us to continue going to school and so forth.
7: Lynch added that the most important thing is to prepare now by getting vaccinated and planning how to handle a family member getting sick. Both the COVID-19 vaccination and bivalent booster are safe to receive at the same time as a flu shot. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio.
0: Local researchers warn of the mental health risks of high-potency cannabis. Eric Heinz has the details.
9: Physicians and a group of research scientists say the availability of a highly concentrated form of cannabis called DABs and other highly concentrated substances are a growing threat to public health, in particular to young adults and teenagers, even though these products are already illegal for those under age 21. Scientists tell the Seattle Times there's evidence linking high-potency THC to an increased risk of experiencing psychosis. Lawmakers are debating new regulations, but those in the cannabis industry Warn, bans on certain products could lead to an illegal market that would make enforcement more difficult. Eric Eintz, Northwest News Radio.
0: The Nobel Prize in Physics awarded to a trio of scientists this past week, including one American. Joel Achenbach is covering it for the Washington Post and spoke with Northwest News Radio's Taylor Van Sice.
13: Joel, the award recognizes these three men for their work in quantum information science. It's a bit of a, a heavy science topic that most of us probably didn't learn in the classroom. What were these men able to accomplish?
11: Well, yeah, it's a, kind of a classically heavy, bewildering, you know, brain-boggling topic, quantum mechanics Essentially, they're all three experimentalists. They did their work. The, f- the first one, uh, John Clauser, who's the American, he did his work in the late uh, 1960s, early 70s. They built this contraption, this apparatus, beamed photons, light particles in, in opposite directions, and showed that essentially what happened to one would affect the other, supporting this whole quantum mechanical theory called you know, quantum entanglement. It's counterintuitive. Essentially, these particles are not in contact with each other. So, why would affecting one affect the other? Einstein said, "No way. That's that spooky action at a distance." He didn't believe it. But Niels Bohr and, uh, and Schrodinger, or some of these other famous physicists from the twentieth century, said. No, that's just how reality seems to work, and so their experiments supported that. I'm sure that was totally clear to you. I'm just saying it is pretty abstruse stuff.
13: You know, it's it's better than Magic School Bus could have done, Joel. I think I, I appreciate that. Um, no, the, like you said, this this experiment, uh, this work that they did is more than 50 years old in some cases. How is it going to impact future scientists?
11: Well, it already has. I mean, essentially, uh, a lot of the technologies we use today employ you know quantum mechanics i mean uh, uh lasers and transistors and all these things they follow quantum mechanical principles you know which and i think you know the audience has probably heard about you know nature being kind of you know a probabilistic thing it's not all classic billiard balls you know rolling into each other and having an obvious reaction so th- this theory is well supported in reality as we as we discern it and technologies as we use it but the way it can be used in the future is with quantum computing and cryptography codes that can never be broken, you know, encryption that can never be broken. And that people are really excited about that. That's a big field right now.
13: And finally, Joel, unfortunately, it sounds like uh, there's just more rain for the parade of those who wanted to hear beam me up, Scotty, right? No, no teleportation in the future?
11: It looks like you might be able to send some information somehow, but you're not going to be able to beam down to the planet with the... With, with, the, with the people eating purple plants on them, whatever. No, you're, you're going to have to stay on the spaceship. Darn.
13: Okay. Well, maybe next Nobel Prize, then, we'll have something different. Uh, you can read about this year's Quantum Information Sciences Nobel Prize for, for Physics online at Washington Post from Joel Achenbach.
0: The state of Washington will be getting another Mormon temple. Northwest News Radio's Frank Lindsay reports.
3: Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints President Russell Nelson has announced that 18 temples will be built around the world in the years to come, five of them in the United States.
4: Jacksonville, Florida. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Prosper, Texas. Lone Mountain, Nevada. And Tacoma, Washington. A Tacoma-based
3: church spokesperson tells the News Tribune the details about exactly where and when that city's temple will be built have not been announced. There are 168 Mormon temples around the world, including three in Washington, in Bellevue, Spokane, and Richland, and another's being built in Moses Lake. Frank Lindsay, Northwest News Radio. You're listening to Northwest This Week.
0: Welcome back to Northwest This Week. I'm Bill O'Neill, and for Mark Christopher. The people who run Washington's elections begin a new push to show how safe and secure they are. Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris has more.
1: The Vote With Confidence campaign is meant to bolster confidence in our elections after years of claims the results weren't legitimate. Secretary of State Democrat Steve Hobbs says organized misinformation threatens the understanding of how elections work. Despite frequent and baseless claims, there's no evidence of support election
11: fraud or tampering of our election systems.
1: Counties manage elections, and King County Election Director Julie Wise says there are multiple layers of security protecting ballot storage, tab areas and counting servers, which she says are not connected, nor can they be accessed via the internet. Wise also says ballot drop boxes are built like tanks, virtually impenetrable.
2: Once your ballot goes into a King County ballot drop box, it's not going to come out until it's emptied by our trained ballot collection teams.
1: Wise also made it clear that it's totally legal for someone else to take your ballot to the drop box for you. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio.
0: Now the King County Executive Dow Constantine has unveiled his proposed budget. The negotiations have begun. More from Northwest News Radio's Jeff Pochula.
8: One of the biggest tickets is the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, which will get $96 million from the county and nearly $88 million from the city of Seattle. Other items in the King County budget proposal include $21 million for metro transit security, $9 million for gun violence prevention programs, and $5 million to equip all deputies with body cams. So how is all of this being paid for? Well, the county is starting to bring in more money from tourists.
7: Lodging tax revenue basically becoming healthy after after COVID.
8: That's staffer April Sanders, who says many of the revenue sources are already earmarked for specific items. Negotiations over the nearly 16 billion two-year budget are expected to take weeks, if not months. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio.
0: Frustrated mayors in Stohomish County are joining forces in hopes of reducing crime in their cities. Northwest News Radio's John Lobertini reports.
6: Fifteen mayors gathered in a city park to announce the creation of a nonprofit. Crime has exploded since 2020 and Marysville Mayor John Naring is facing tough questions from his residents.
3: You're my mayor. You're the only one I know to go to. And I think that's why we formed this because when people don't feel safe in their community, they go to us and
6: say, please fix it. In 2021, the Washington State Supreme Court declared the felony drug possession law unconstitutional, and that's made drug treatment more difficult. Everett Mayor Cassie Franklin.
10: Our community outreach and enforcement team referred 294 people to services. And of those 294, zero have accepted
2: services.
6: Banning police pursuits led to a dramatic increase in crime. Criminals are now ramming police cruisers to make their getaway. Chief Eric Scarpin, Marysville PD. I can say
14: the past few years have been very chaotic. We've seen law enforcement officers, as well as our public, put
6: at a greater risk. They're also recruiting business leaders. There's even talk of hiring a lobbyist to navigate the hallways of the state capitol. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio.
0: A Seattle-area woman who recently finished serving a 16-year sentence for second-degree murder now faces federal charges for alleged drug distribution and illegal firearms possession. Northwest News Radio's Carlene Johnson reports.
2: 38-year-old Raven Hudson was in prison until January this year, convicted of second-degree murder in a case out of Bremerton.
11: Unfortunately, it looks like she went right back into uh, what she had been doing before, which is armed drug trafficking.
2: Assistant U.S. Attorney Matt Greenberg says the July arrest of Hudson came after Homeland Security agents and Seattle police narcotics detectives had been tracking her for allegedly dealing a significant amount of drugs. She rammed police vehicles during the arrest and a search of her vehicle found more than 6,700 fentanyl pills, meth, cocaine, heroin and loaded firearms including one that was stolen.
12: It's a good thing to
11: get her off the street because she had thousands of fentanyl pills and fentanyl powder and hundreds of grams of methamphetamine and wherever that was going to go it it wasn't going to do any good.
2: Hudson faces up to life in prison if convicted. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
0: The man convicted of killing a man at a fast food drive through has been sentenced. Northwest News Radio's Kathy O'Shea has the details.
7: 23-year-old Christian Dressel was sentenced to 20 years in prison for running over David Brown at a spanaway jack-in-the-box. It all began on February 26 when Dressel's vehicle struck Brown's car as both were in the drive through lane. When Brown left his car to discuss the fender bender, Dressel ran him over then backed up and ran over him again before driving off. Dressel pled guilty to the murder in August. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio.
0: A Burlington man will spend the rest of his life in prison for killing a Western Washington University student. The story from Northwest News Radio's Frank Lindsay.
3: Last month, a jury convicted 24-year-old Rigoberto Galvan of premeditated aggravated first-degree murder. He killed 22-year-old Stephanie Cresswell Brenner. The two started a romantic relationship in 2017 and lived together. In May of 2019, he moved out. In August of that year, he shot her to death. At his first court appearance in 2019... The court should that the defendant has a callous of life. The prosecution and defense made their arguments for and against bail.
11: Mr. Galvan himself, called
3: 911,
11: reported what had occurred and waited for law enforcement to respond and made no efforts to flee.
3: And after his conviction, the defense asked the judge to sentence Galvan to 35 years in prison, according to the Bellingham Herald. But on Monday, he got life in prison without parole. Frank Lindsay, Northwest News Radio.
0: A Pasco rancher is going to prison for what's being called one of the largest thefts in state history. Details from Northwest News Radio's Greg Herschel.
5: Cody Easterday pleaded guilty to a scam where he forged invoices to Tyson Foods and another company to raise roughly 265,000 head of cattle. The problem was the cattle didn't exist. Federal prosecutors say the scam was a way to cover his debts from gambling and trading in commodities futures. He was sentenced to 11 years in federal prison and ordered to repay $244 million. His attorney asked for a much more lenient sentence and told the Spokesman Review the penalty took his breath away. Greg Hersholt, Northwest News Radio.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week. Welcome back to Northwest This Week. Seattle is getting trolled for its new hockey mascot. Northwest News Radio's Bill Swartz explains.
14: It came out of the rafters during Saturday night's preseason game. The mascot has been revealed. It's
3: Bowie, Seattle sea troll, who lives in the caverns of Climate Pledge Arena. My goodness.
14: Bowie, a dark blue, scraggly-haired, light blue-nosed sea troll. It's the NHL team's new mascot, partly inspired by the eclectic Fremont troll sculpture. The team's chief marketing officer, Katie Townsend, says they wanted a mascot who's kid-friendly and could serve as a soft, cuddly ambassador at schools and hospitals. Well, many children in my generation grew up with troll dolls. I just wanted to warn you, one of these tunnels leads to the troll tree, and the others to...
1: Certain death! 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 Death!
14: No question, the Kraken will sell a lot of buoy the troll merchandise. But some rabid hockey fans throughout the NHL are trolling Seattle's choice, including Victoria on the Greased Pole podcast.
2: Again, the Seattle Kraken mascot. Can we just start out with that? I know it's the obvious choice, but come on, a buoy? We're doing a troll?
8: Like what in the low budget f- is this?
14: British Columbia's the hockey guy, Shannon Skaines, is lukewarm for the Kraken's pick. They trolled themselves. The first thought
11: I had was Seattle trolled themselves.
14: Well, at least Bowie doesn't generate total negativity like Gritty, the Philadelphia Flyers' seven-foot-tall furry orange creature.
11: Where I'm I'm not really in the demographic, trolls sell. Trolls absolutely sell. I've got a nine-year-old girl, and she definitely has had troll dolls over the time. But... I really had hoped for some kind of a nautical. For the
14: record, Bowie the Sea Troll's favorite meal is a piece of shark with a sprig of maple leaf. Not too
11: bad. Not bad at all. I like it. I think.
14: Give it a chance, it might grow on you. I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio. High-paying jobs, walkability,
0: and a vast collection of parks? These are some of the reasons a national magazine is naming Kirkland as one of the nation's three best places to live. More from Northwest News Radio's Corwin Hake.
10: Kirkland comes in third this year on Money Magazine's annual list of the 50 best places to live in the U.S. According to Money, it helps that Kirkland is, quote, easy on the eyes, with its Lake Washington and Mount Rainier views. But the magazine also touts the east side city's booming tech economy, its walkable downtown, and its many parks. The list raves about biking along Kirkland's paved lakefront paths, hiking through its stands of woods, picnicking on its beaches, and birdwatching from its boardwalks. The only cities ranked higher on Money's top 50 are Atlanta, Georgia, and Tempe, Arizona. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
0: Country music legend Loretta Lynn died this past week. Northwest News Radio's Manda Factor reports on Lynn's connection to Washington.
1: When well, I was born to
11: my miner's daughter
7: before Coal Miner's daughter, then 15-year-old Loretta Webb married Oliver Vanetta Lynn, better known as Doolittle. The couple left Kentucky and moved to the logging community of Custer, just south of the Canadian border. She was pregnant with the first of their six children. In 1953, Doolittle bought her a $17 Harmony guitar that she taught herself to play. Lynn started her own band, Loretta and the Trailblazers, with her brother. According to Wikipedia, she often appeared at Bob's Tavern in Blaine and the Delta Grange Hall in Custer. Mound factor, Northwest News Radio.
0: Northwest News This Week is heard each week at this time on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7, and also as a podcast at nwnewsradio.com, where you will also find other favorites like Politicast and LifeBeat. If you enjoy this program, feel free to share a rating and review at Apple Podcast. Our editor
14: and tech advisor is Painter Webb. I'm Bill O'Neill, in for Mark Christopher this week. Thanks for listening.